thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to The Healthy Shift Worker with your host, Audra Starkey. And welcome to the Healthy Shift Worker podcast. My name is Audra Starkey, and I'm here to help you to manage some of the toughest challenges we face whilst working 24-7. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about shift work, fertility, and pregnancy, and look at it from a dietary and nutritional perspective, because I think we can all agree, as shift workers, our diets may not always be uh, the best when we do work these irregular hours, and how that actually uh, may be impacting uh, on our health from a fertility perspective. And to talk about this topic, I brought on Melody McRice, who is a fertility and prenatal dietitian based down in Melbourne in Victoria. She is the founder of Nutrition Plus Women's Nutrition Clinics, which provide specialist fertility and prenatal nutrition support all around Australia and also runs online programs on nutrition for mums-to-be, together with posting content on her YouTube channel titled Nourish with Melanie. To top it off, she also won Australian Dietitian of the Year last year. So I kind of feel quite very honoured to actually have this lady onto the show uh, today. So to talk all things shift work, fertility and pregnancy, I'd like to give a warm and friendly shift working welcome to Melanie. Hello. Hello, Audra. Thank you so much for having me. I am absolutely honoured to be here to have a chat to you and your audience. I'm definitely uh, really looking forward to this uh, conversation, Uh, Melanie, that's for sure. So welcome, welcome to the show. And I think uh, the conversation that we're about to have is is going to be quite popular. Uh, So I, you know, I really want to, I guess, launch straight in because I've got quite a lot of questions that I would Mm -hmm. like to ask you. But would you mind sharing a little about your story as in like how you became a dietitian and what set you on the path, I guess, to specialize in fertility and pregnancy? Because there's so many different aspects in the dietetics and nutritional world. Yeah, well, it is quite a long story, but I'll try and make it as short as I can um, in that I actually decided that I was going to become a dietitian when I was 14. Wow. I was, yeah. <laughs> I was sitting on the veranda with my nan um, and talking about what I was going to do when I grew up, and uh, we quickly narrowed it down to some type of healthcare professional because I always liked helping people um, but wanted some type of professional role. And she came up with all different ideas about like podiatry and things. I thought, oh, no, I don't like the idea of working with people's feet. Uh, And then she got a phone call from her best friend whose daughter was a dietitian. And so she came back and said, well, what about a dietitian? I'd never heard of it. She told me what it was and I was like, yep, that's what I'm going to do. So that was the start of my journey. Wow, 14. That's amazing. Not many kids are kind of looking at setting their – and you've obviously stuck it through too because we know that a lot of people tend to change their mind. and Yeah, yeah. So I was quite young. Um, And then so I got the marks to go and do science at Melbourne Uni, which is what you had to do back then. And, uh, yeah, so it was quite a lot of years of university. I actually did eight years of university, um, did my honours and Master of Nutrition and Dietetics as well. And then started working uh, in the medical field, which is where probably most dietitians tend to work. And in fact, to this day, I still work uh, one day a week um, at one Melbourne hospital and I work Saturdays um, doing the weekend cover at another big Melbourne hospital. So I still keep my more medical clinical side up, working in ICU and with the surgical patients and so forth, all those things. 
Mm, wow. But, yeah, great cross-section. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I actually uh, opened my business uh, doing private practice consulting about 11 years ago and that's what I really love. That's where my heart and soul is. And then um, I've been working just seeing a cross-section of different clients for quite a few years when I had this one particular client come in to see me and uh, she had been trying to go through IVF. She'd actually had six rounds of IVF um, and then had uh, made the decision to come and see a dietitian, and so ended up seeing me. And uh, I was able to do an assessment with her and immediately see were what was holding up the, her progress uh, and we were able to make some changes and uh, then with her next cycle she conceived and so that was really uh, a very big turning point for me, very exciting because mm. I had also gone through my own fertility issues, different than that, but uh, but the same type of emotional roller coaster. And so it really, that was the first seed that really planted in my heart for me. Mm, yeah, no doubt each time you receive that notification that someone, one of your clients is, has fallen pregnant uh, would be, yeah, just a wonderful feeling, no doubt. Yeah, and then um, I wrote a uh, uh, yeah I wrote a book uh, a few years later, um, which was uh, specifically focusing on pregnancy um, and discussed fertility in there as well. And that was when uh, a lot of opportunities really started opening up for me in this space. And the more I've dug into it, uh, the more I've actually really felt like it's a calling for me because, like I said, I've had my own fertility journeys. Um, uh, now I'm uh, in my 40s and I still don't have any babies of my own. Um, I do foster care instead and I'm very busy with my nieces and nephews <laughs> but I uh, haven't been able to have my own biological child, um, unfortunately. Uh, so I feel a real, um, I guess, personal mission to be able to help other women to conceive and have healthy babies. Mm, yeah, wow, great, great story. So... As a fellow nutritionist, Melanie, I do have to, I guess, ask that that question. Like, generally, I suppose, as a general question, like, how does diet affect our fertility? Yeah, well, it has a huge impact, and that's really uh, the message that I want to get out there to the world. Because, you know, I think so often people are uh, turning to uh, medicine and uh, a whole range of other different avenues, um, which often they need to do. I, I certainly work with a lot of fertility specialists myself um, and so I don't want to disregard the work that they do but nutrition is such a big impact of uh, in getting pregnant. Um, one particular study which I often quote uh, was a study done by Harvard University on uh, over 17,000 women and they found that by making just five dietary changes that uh, those women had a 69% increased chance of conceiving within 12 months. Whoa. Yeah, so wow. quite significant numbers. And I just think people don't realise what a big impact that nutrition has, particularly, you know, in our society at the moment, we are seeing an increase in infertility and that tends to be mm. for two key reasons. You know, when it comes to getting pregnant, we need two things. We, as women, we need lots of eggs. And we need those eggs to be healthy. And um, age is certainly one impact. So the older that we get, the less eggs that we have. But in terms of, in terms of our eggs being healthy, nutrition plays a huge role in that. 
Mm, yeah. So this is why I'm very excited to be talking about this today. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so how, how does caffeine affect our fertility? Dare I ask this question? Um, because I know, you know, the thing is, and I'm sure you're very much aware of it, shift workers do much, very much rely on caffeine as a stimulant to keep us awake, keep us to be able to feel like we need to function. So how, yeah, I guess before we get into the specifics of the food source, I'm, I'm really interested to find out how caffeine um, may be or maybe not affecting our fertility. Yeah. Well, first of all, I might just add that I do have a little bit of personal experience um, in shift work. I haven't done a lot of it, but while I was studying at university, um, I did some night shifts, um, part of my way of paying my my way through university. And then my sister works as a midwife, um, so she does shift work. And so uh, I help out with her where I can as well. So they're my personal um, it, my personal uh, relationship to shift work as well as seeing a lot of clients who are working shift work as well. I often work with a lot of nurses and, and, um, and doctors and, and uh, people who are, are working shift work, so I get how hard it can be. Um, so in terms of caffeine, though, um, so yes, you're right in that it does certainly seem to have an impact. The research does tend to be mixed, um, but the recommendations are that we try and keep our caffeine to less than 200 milligrams a day, which is not that easy when you are doing shift work. Um, so 200 milligrams a day, that's equivalent to like two small coffees or say four uh, cups of tea. So it's not a lot for someone who is working shift work. Sorry, um, Melanie, as in no more. Did you say no more than yeah, so no more right. than two cups? Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, in a twenty-four hour period. Yeah. And um, and, and they're not exactly sure on the reasons why. There are some thoughts. Well, we said we know that it can impact upon ovulation, mm-hmm. but there's also some thoughts that caffeine can actually impact the muscles of the fallopian tubes um, that help uh, with. And that might be why it impacts upon ovulation. But there was one really interesting study that I think sums it up, and that it was a study of 4,000 women who were undergoing IVF, um, and those who had five coffees a day versus those who had no coffees a day had a 50% um, less chance of conceiving. And mm. yeah, so... Yeah quite um i guess not such good news uh for those of you who really are avid coffee drinkers or caffeine drinkers to help keep you awake mm. i've heard like i've had clients though that are, that will definitely have five six and maybe even seven cups of coffee and energy drinks and all that kind of stuff so the two is is uh uh, we haven't lost anybody there, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, to kind of completely not have any coffee is, is definitely a big ask. But yeah. yeah, I guess even. But in saying that though, too, we're talking about a small time frame, isn't it? In the big picture, That's you know, it right. took nine months to actually, you know, by the time baby's born. But obviously, the the time leading up to that time, so it's not as if you could never have a coffee again. So we oh, got to we got to let everyone know that there's. <laughs> Uh, I'm actually a big fan of coffee, um, although I have to say I'm not a coffee drinker myself purely because I don't like the taste. But uh, but nutritionally, it's actually really good for you to drink coffee. It helps to reduce your risk of diabetes, um, for one. 
Uh, and so, yeah, there is quite some good research a- about coffee. Now but... you've got everyone's attention. Sorry, you have to let <laughs> Everyone's ears are pricked up now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the other thing to remember is that, you know, just because this is one study and this is one mm. study um, for women who are going through IVF, mm. there's plenty of people who are out there who can get pregnant uh, without needing IVF and who yep. still drink coffee uh, and they don't have any problems at all. So I probably wouldn't worry too much unless you find that you're not getting, like you're trying to get pregnant and you're not, then coffee and caffeine might be one of the things that you can mm. look at. So that is a very good point, yeah, because we can't just rely on one study. It's, yeah, so, and, you know, different cohorts of people and what's actually being measured and, um, yeah, it's taking that kind of holistic kind of perspective. Uh, I've also heard that, um, that, you know, dairy may cause infertility. Is that actually true? It's actually not. Um, there's actually some really uh, positive research about the benefits of dairy for fertility. Um, when you actually dig in and look at the research. So, um, again, back to that study I was talking about earlier where the five different dietary changes uh, Mm -hmm. improved fertility. One of those dietary changes was actually uh, women who who, uh, consumed adequate amounts of, so the three serves a day of um, dairy and actually having high-fat dairy as opposed to low-fat dairy. Yeah usually surprises quite a few people. Um, and the reason seems to be that dairy products contain uh, this compound called IGF-1, um, and the IGF-1 seems to have an impact on the growth and development of the embryo uh, to help both get pregnant, so particularly with the implantation stage, and then to help um, reduce the risk of miscarriage as well. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, so lattes might be the way to go. Like <laughs> <laughs> the Thai latte. Oh yeah, and again, you've got everyone's ears picked up now, and everyone's going to send you all these, you know, messages of thank yous and. <laughs> for, oh, good. <laughs> for, I like those ones. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely cool. Now, all right. Well, that's you know that's kind of good to know. Um, pineapples. How about pineapples when it comes to fertility being like a superfood because i've heard a little bit um, about that as well is there any truth behind that yeah so there's i've had a very good look at the research and there's actually no studies behind that at all um that is purely a uh you know a, a wives tale a fable that's been handed down but it's interesting because when you look back at different wives tales around pineapple some people used it uh to help boost fertility and some actually used it as an abortive food or, or um, helping people or as a contraception. They, some cultures thought that it was um, help people not to get pregnant. So we can't really tell either way. But um, if I had to put my money on one or the other, I probably would go for the side of thinking that it does help fertility. Um, and again, it's not actually pineapple itself, but the pineapple core so pineapple core contains an enzyme called bromelain, which uh, helps to reduce inflammation and also uh, can be used as a blood thinner. And uh, for clients who are actually undergoing IVF, uh, doctors sometimes prescribe aspirin um, as a blood thinner mm. uh, 
to to help optimize IVF. And so there possibly could be some truth behind it, but there's really, like I said, there's no research out there on the moment at the mm-hmm. moment. Yeah. I guess too, like we could sort of sit here and discuss, you know, in individual particular foods and beverages and how they may, uh, you know, influence or worsen the chances of kind of pregnancy uh, occurring. Mm. But I, I, I don't know. My thought is just being having that kind of holistic kind of perspective is that we need to really sit back and look at somebody's diet as a whole and absolutely yeah so how much fruit and veg is in their diet how much sugar in processed food processed refined carbohydrates and the inflammation inflammatory uh, can't even say that word <laughs> inflammatory effect that uh that potentially uh you know might be affecting uh you know pregnancy in that way absolutely and that's what i always say is that uh we need to have a super diet rather than a superfood. <sighs> yeah yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, though, that's kind of where um, it's very easy for shift workers to kind of fall down that slippery slope of not necessarily having a great diet because we get caught in the vicious cycle of the sleep and wake circadian rhythm disruption. And it's it's yeah, it's it's challenging. But I think we all, I think um, you know, a point that I want everyone listening to kind of be aware. And I think um, Melanie, you could probably back me up with this is it to you know provide you know some form of hope for shift workers out there listening because there's you know just because you do shift work it's not necessarily you know going to mean that it's you know infertility may not happen for you because there's plenty of shift workers out there that fall pregnant and fall pregnant quite easily um it's just a very multifactorial kind of a process and i guess for you when people come and see you you're kind of looking at you know areas that they may not think about that that can actually help with that Oh, look, I definitely agree, Audra. Um, I've had plenty of clients over the years who have become pregnant uh, even though they were doing shift work um, and often they'll have other dietary conditions as well, maybe polycystic, like I'm thinking at the moment of oh, someone yeah. who had polycystic ovarian syndrome and was yep. working shift work and she still managed to conceive. Uh, yep. I She came to Great. see me before she started trying and so um, – yeah, and so I encouraged her to try sooner rather than later because I thought that it may be a bit of an issue, but she got pregnant almost first try. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, so just and very newly married as well. Uh, so it was a bit of a surprise to all of us. So, yes, yeah, so just because it can be more difficult doesn't mean that it necessarily will be. Mm. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I just want to um, ask some questions that I've had uh, come through from some of my listeners. Uh, Mm. So uh, these ones are from someone that was, uh, I guess, these particular questions are focused around conception itself, Melanie. So her Mm. question um, was, how does night shift or shift work influence our fertility and more specifically our basal body temperature for charting? Yeah. Um, so first of all, in terms of it impacting fertility, uh, like I said before, there's two things that you need. You need plenty of eggs and you need those eggs to be healthy. Actually, there are a few more things that you need as well because you need a really receptive uterus and you need healthy sperm as well. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, they're kind of the two key things. Um, and uh, there was an interesting study that found that uh, shift workers, particularly those who did night shift, um, tended to have in again this was an IVF study um, where and the IVF studies are popular because you can really narrow down to one 
specific part of the fertility journey and sort of um, see it's more of a controlled environment, so it's easier to do research on. Yeah. Um, and so uh, they found that the shift workers who were working night shifts, um, they tended to be able to get two to three less eggs per cycle than someone who worked a normal nine-to-five job. So, Interesting. Yeah. Mm. So overall, it, the studies do tend to suggest that it can be more difficult. But again, like we said, just because it can be more difficult doesn't mean that it will be. And we mm. just need to keep that in mind. You know, it only takes one egg and <laughs> one sperm to make a baby. <laughs> um, and uh, in terms of... Um, uh, the basal body temperature. So um, there are a few different ways of uh, of getting pregnant. So one is just random um, unprotected sex and that always ha- tends to happen when we don't want it to happen really. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then on the other end of the extreme, we've got uh, our IVF treatments um, and IUIs and so forth. And then in the middle, we tend to have um, different... Uh, philosophies, different sort of natural ways of, of conceiving. So things like looking at your discharge or measuring your basal body temperature. So we know that um, when we ovulate, our basal body temperature tends to increase. And so that's a sign that you're ovulating. And so that means, right, it's time to be having sex um, so that we can conceive. Now, when people are doing shift work, um, so our basal body temperature uh, is Basically, basal means when your body is at, at rest and so when you're yeah, most rested, basically. And so when you're doing shift work, that can actually impact upon your basal body temperature. And so it's not quite as an accurate way um, for shift workers. So that's where I would recommend maybe looking at some other different um some other different things to tell when you ovulate, um, such as looking at your discharge might be one way to consider. Mm. Okay. Uh, the next question was, again, it's just, we're still talking about conception. So what is the recommendation to maximise chance of conception regarding timing, frequency and intercourse? So, you know, should it be like every other day during the fertile window or daily? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, usually the recommendations are every other day. So, um Usually on the day of ovulation, two days before and two days after as okay. the most common recommendations. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, again, so these are just questions that have sort of come through, which I'm, I know yeah. that a lot of other um, people listening uh, are probably going to have the same similar questions. Um, yeah. but was uh, Should males have a period of abstinence from ejaculating prior to female fertile window to improve chances of sperm successfully passing through to meet the egg? Um, no, most uh, healthcare professionals these days actually recommend ejaculating regularly um, so that you've got fresh, healthy sperm. Um, and so so for guys, they are growing new sperm all the time mm. compared to women who yep. we, like we get out, we start off with a million eggs uh, and then they decline over the years. So um, most people don't realise, they think you just lose or lose one egg a month but we actually lose about a thousand eggs every month and only one gets through to um gee whiz we go on to ovulate wow. yeah and so that's why by the time we get to our 
late 30s and 40s it becomes increasingly hard to be able to conceive yeah that's right so yeah for guys um the recommendations are to be ejaculating regularly go for it Mm, okay (laughs) there we go again the guys listening are going to be extremely excited about that (laughs) to hear that um so is there is there like a normal time frame i guess to to conceive like how long is it normal to take to conceive yeah, well, um, so it does depend a bit on your age again. So the younger you are, um, often the faster that you can conceive. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually in your 20s, you've got, or 20s and early 30s, you've usually got around a 25% chance of conceiving every cycle, so every time you ovulate. Um, whereas by the time you get into but your late 30s, early 40s, you're looking at oh, 5% or less. So that's why uh, the recommendations are that if you haven't conceived within 12 months and you're under the age of 35, um, then, it, yeah, wait till keep going until you get to about the 12-month period and yeah. then if it's taking you 12 months and you still haven't conceived, then it's probably a good idea to go and speak to uh, a doctor at that point. Um, whereas if you're over the age of 35, the recommendations are to give it six months. And uh, if you haven't conceived within six months, then it's uh, a good idea to go and start looking for some additional assistance. Mm, to speed up, obviously, to speed up the process because the yeah. times, yeah, not quite so much on your side. Exactly. Yeah, so to speak. Because I think, you know, we hear of different um, opinions on this, you know, different health professions, professionals might say anywhere between six months and two years. Yeah, well, if you're younger, you know, that's there's certainly no hurry to be going mm. and looking for additional help. Um, yeah. You certainly have that got that more time. But most people should be able to conceive sort of within 12 to 18 months um, naturally. And, and, you know, just because you go and see so much, uh, someone at 12 months doesn't mean that you go straight to IVF. It would usually just be those initial things of looking at, um, you know, are you having sex at the right time and are you, like, ha- have you got any conditions like endometriosis or polycystic ovarian syndrome or undiagnosed celiac disease or, you know, just start ruling a few of those things out. Mm. Do you uh, get, sort of get involved with the male side of things as well um, too, Melanie? Because as you pointed out before, it's not just about the girls, things that can go be going on. Yeah, um, look, I do. I do find that most of my clients are women. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, look. Or both. I mean, like you'll get obviously get both yeah, involved. Yeah. That's right. Um, <laughs> it's rarer that I get just a guy coming mm. in. Um, it does yeah. tend to be both or uh, just the female. Um, with guys, obviously, nutrition has a, a really big impact on their sperm health as well, including sperm count and morphology. So that's the shape of the sperm and, and things like that. Uh, so it does have a really big impact. And so guys need to be really optimizing their diet and nutrition as well. Um, but particularly clients, um, guys who have got something like Crohn's disease or diabetes or celiac disease or something like that, some type of dietary condition, um, I'd really encourage them to be going, just having a checkup with a dietitian before trying to conceive and see if there's anything that you can do to help optimise your sperm health. Mm. And is there like a, an ideal time frame leading up to this? Like a, 
you know, for example, like if a couple was sort of toying with the idea of, you know, looking at becoming pregnant, um, should they be looking at their nutrition? Like how much how much time kind of leading up to that 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 moment do you think is a is a good starting point? Yeah, um, there's a few different factors to consider. Um, so, for example, um, yeah. So one of the things that jumps out to me is. Uh, is weight so um, weight does have an impact on both sperm health and on our egg health and so if someone has uh, a more a larger amount of weight that they need to try to shift um, before trying to conceive then obviously that will take a little bit longer than someone who is already um, eating a fairly healthy diet and doesn't have any dietary conditions and is a healthy weight and so forth and so forth but in general, um, I think sort of three to six months is a pretty good idea before you're planning to conceive. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. It usually takes uh, it takes an egg uh, about about um, one month to mature, uh, and sperm turnover tends to be yeah you can sort of influence from about three months beforehand. So yeah, usually sort of three to six months, six months being the most, but about three months before you're planning to conceive is a pretty good idea for most people. That's mm, a good motivating force really to take care of your health, isn't it, with this other goal? You know, obviously doing it for yourself is important, but knowing that, you, you know, hoping to do it for um, a little one or, or double or triple yeah. <laughs> for some people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's, um, I think, it's something that I may not have got across too well yet is that it's not just about fertility and being able to conceive, but the other part of the equation is actually preparing your body and preparing that genetic material to conceive because, you know, the sperm and the egg, they're actually genetic material that become your baby. And so this is what I think is so exciting is that the research shows that the the diet that you're having and the, the lifestyle and the nutrition that you're having in the lead up to conception can actually go on to impact what we call genetic programming of your future baby. And um, there's a, a term that's often used now called the first thousand days. So we look at it in, that period um, in the lead up to conception during pregnancy and the first uh, just year or so of life is actually when your baby's um, genetics are all being programmed and can influence everything from their future weight struggles, um, their immunity, their likelihood of developing chronic diseases, their likelihood of food allergies, their taste preferences, all these really important things is all programmed in um, just over that thousand days. Mm, Yeah, fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Well, I've got just one more question um, that I wanted to ask for you, and again, this one comes through from uh, another uh, another listener, is that do you have any information or studies about the effects on baby when, when uh, working rotating shifts? Because some websites have indicated that low birth weight and premature delivery, um, but she, this particular lady hasn't actually seen any official study on this. Yeah, there actually um, have been some official studies on it, um, so it it is a thing. Um, but again, if I can just say that just because 
studies show that it can increase risk doesn't mean that it's definitely going to happen. Mm. So it doesn't mean just because you're working shift work that you're definitely going to have um, a low gestational weight baby or going to have a premature baby. It just increases the risk a little bit. And there's plenty of dietary things that we can do um, to help to reduce those risks as well. Um, actually, one of my YouTube videos is about this. So, um, again, optimizing your weight before trying to get pregnant, uh, has it helped to reduce the risk or also the other extreme? So you don't want to be uh, malnourished during pregnancy. Um, again, too much caffeine can have an impact on that and that may be the reason why shift workers are more likely to have um, babies uh, who are premies. Um and then there's also really strong information to show that fruit and vegetables are very protective against um, premature delivery as well. So I think that's a really positive thing that that women can do. Mm. Yeah, lovely. And again, like the food in our uh, in our diet uh, or our nutrition as a whole is something that each and every one of us do have 100% control over. Uh, and it just, whilst it can be challenging sometimes to have, you know, the perfect diet going 24-7, pardon the pun, um, mm-hmm. with that, it's it's definitely, I guess, empowering to know that uh, it's, it's definitely an area that you do have control over. And knowing that, um, it just would kind of, you know, just help you to sort of, um, yeah, feel like that you do have some, you know, potential control over making this happen. And I think um, that's, yeah, I just think that's a, probably a, a good thing to kind of <laughs> finish off on to to let people know that, yes, nutrition and in, in, in the diet does play a huge role, um, but it's definitely something that, um, you know, with a little bit of work and perhaps, work, you know, working with someone like yourself to kind of, you know, provide some guidance in this particular area um, can, you know, shed, uh, help to kind of shed some light um, for people that may not know where to start because I think, uh, Melanie, I think in our, in our world we can get guilty of just feeling like, um, you know, like we assume people know all this stuff because we're just surrounded by nutrition and diet continually. We, we sort of assume that people know this my basic stuff, but a lot of people don't and it's not a, nothing against them. It's just that they haven't been exposed to it and they're not really aware to kind of how to start. So it's just lovely that there are people like yourself out there that 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 have a passion to it and, as you said yourself, that you feel like it's your real calling. Uh, and when you do work with people that uh, you know have a particular passion in the field that you're interested in, it just you know that you're, you're going to get looked after um, extremely well, that's for sure. Yeah. Look, I think no one can have a perfect diet. We've mm. all got different things. We've all got different challenges in life, totally. um, whether it's shift work or something else. Um, but the goal is to do the best that we can because, like I said, you know, there's never a more important time in our life to be eating well than when we're preparing that genetic material to pass on to our baby. So, you know, it's a great motivation and uh, I just really encourage everybody just to do the best that they can. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And when you have those days that you may not have, you know, yet got you slipped into having the um, chocolate donut at 2 o'clock in the morning, don't berate yourself over it. Um, you know, the next day is, is certainly a new day. Well, look, thank you so much for, um, you know, joining me today, Melanie. Like it's I've learned so much just from our conversation that we've had um, today. So for anyone who's listening um, and are wanting to learn more about what you do, uh, how can they get in contact with you? 
Um, look, I'm just a good old Google and I will appear. Um, but uh, yeah, maybe check out my YouTube site, uh, which yeah, it's got some, um, I think, resources that would be helpful for people. And I think you'll link through to that, won't you, Audra? Yeah. Did you want to just, it, I'll pop the link below, oh, yeah. but did you want to just say what they are as well? Just yep, so yep. that yeah, so people can take it's note. Just, uh, it's called Nourish with Melanie. Yep. Um, is my YouTube channel. Um, I'm on social media as well, on Instagram and on Facebook and uh, Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Um, so feel free, whatever your social media of choice is, um, or else my website is just melaniemcgrice.com. Excellent. Wonderful. I'll, well, I'll make sure I just in, uh, include those into the show notes at the bottom. So, yeah. So, again, thank you so much for taking the time out of your um, schedule, uh, Melanie. It is, uh, this is definitely a topic that I've – and a discussion that I've wanted to bring on the podcast for quite a while. It's just finding the right person to to talk about it. So I'm very uh, grateful that we've been able to connect uh, today and that you've um, shared your wonderful wisdom on this topic. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Audra. And can I just say again that you are doing such amazing work and you should be so incredibly proud and I can't wait to be able to share more about what you're doing with my audience as well because I think it's truly impressive. Oh, thank you. That's very, very, very sweet of you. <laughs> so that's it uh, for another edition of the Healthy Shift Worker podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please feel free to share it with other shift workers who you think may benefit as this will help me to spread the Healthy Shift Worker message to shift workers and organisations all around the world. Feel free to take a minute or two to leave us a rating or a comment on iTunes as this will actually help my podcast to move higher up in the rankings, get more exposure and ultimately help more people. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening. Until next time, may you continue to be as healthy as you possibly can be despite working 24-7. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.